Let's take a moment of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the enduring truth of your word, which points us to Christ Jesus. I pray this morning that we are renewed, we are strengthened, we are uplifted by your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I wonder, has the joy of Easter faded a bit for you? You know, Easter was last week, and in the normal course of events, the joy of Easter, that celebration, can kind of fade, and fade kind of fast over several days. And we kind of had that celebration, and then we forget. But this year is different, isn't it? I mean, so I wonder this year if the joy of Easter faded even faster. I mean, if you take a look at all the news out there and all of the things that are going on, it's depressing because again and again we are inundated with messages regarding death. And all of those messages can really just put a blanket and have us forget the joy of Easter. And I know a lot of people are also dealing with depression at this time. That's what the news is doing, death and depression. As a matter of fact, have you ever considered that some of the saddest words in our English language begin with the letter D? Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, despair, defeat, death. You see, for a lot of people, it's not the joy of Easter anymore. This is what it looks like on the road that they're on right now. It's very dark. It is very foreboding. It is a road of despair. It is not a road of joy. So this morning, we're going to take a journey. Just like we did last week, we took an Easter journey. We're going to take an Easter journey today where there's a road of despair, a road of defeat, hearts that are defeated, But ultimately, this journey is one in which eyes are opened and joy is created and faith is brought forth. So let's you and I take that journey this morning. We are going to start, first of all, with the road of defeat on the road to Emmaus. Our text from Luke chapter 24, starting verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. So here's the situation. You had two disciples. We don't know much about them, except one we find out his name is Cleopas. And we can discern that they were very close disciples. They were kind of the core group, so to speak, of the disciples of Jesus. I'm not talking about the apostles, the 12 disciples, the apostles, but they were at least part of that core group. And they're traveling to this village called Emmaus. We really don't know much about Emmaus. We can't locate it necessarily anywhere right now, except Luke records, it was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So here it is. It's probably early afternoon right now. 
It is on Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection, early afternoon. You have these two disciples walking along the road. And I'm sure that their hearts were very, very heavy. They were sad. They were probably, you know how when you're sad, you you don't walk briskly. You kind of shuffle along. That's probably how they were doing that on the road. Because the Messiah had been killed, had died, had been buried. And now there are reports that you couldn't find the body. And they, they didn't know what to do with all of this. And so they were truly on the road of defeat, a road where there is no hope. Now, I don't have to explain that road to you, my guess is, because you've either traveled on that road before or you might be on that road right now. But thankfully, with praise, we know that the Lord intervenes in our lives, that he comes along beside us on that road. And that's what happened with these two disciples. It says, going on in our text, verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So this is the first appearance that Luke has regarding Jesus. This is the first account Luke has of Jesus appearing to disciples. So in this time frame, the 40 days from which Jesus arose before he ascended to heaven, he appeared to many people at many times in different places. And his appearance was appropriate for each place, each time, each person. And there were a couple times when he appeared that even those who knew him didn't recognize him right away. It says that his disciples' eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now that kind of poses a question, right? I mean, why would Jesus not just say, hi, here I am. I mean, he did that a couple times, but other times he kept people from recognizing him right away. And while it doesn't say it in this particular text, when you take a look at various other texts throughout scripture, I think you can come to this conclusion. I think it was to bring people to faith based on his word and not on his appearance. You see, again and again throughout Scripture, again and again, Jesus said, trust his word. Trust what he has told them. I mean, take a look at what Jesus said to Thomas. Thomas from Gospel of John chapter 20. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And that's the central idea, I think, in this particular journey. It is to believe and trust in the word of God, to believe and trust in the word of Jesus. Because faith doesn't come just by seeing Jesus. What does scripture actually say? Well, we had this from our readings in Romans. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And when we talk about hearing, we're not talking about just the physical aspect of hearing. We're talking about the, what the mind, not only the mind takes in, but the heart takes in. It takes in the word of God. 
And when the word of God is given to you and taken in, faith occurs. The trouble is, you and I, we might take it in kind of with our mind, but our hearts are very slow. Our hearts are very slow to believe. And so not only were the disciples on a road of defeat, they were on a road with defeated hearts. So let's go on with our text this morning, starting verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? So look, when Jesus approached them, he already knew what they were talking about. He wasn't curious as to what they were talking about. He already knew. And so what he did, rather than just stating anything, he asked them a question. That is his approach again and again and again, is to ask a question of people. And he asked questions designed to lead people into faith. And that's what he's doing. So anytime you see a a question that Jesus is asking in Scripture, any question what's all, it's designed to actually lead you deeper into your faith. So in essence, he comes to them and says, what are you guys talking about? And this actually starts to reveal the disciples' hearts. Because it says they stood still. I mean, they were just stopped in their tracks. And it says they were sad. They were downcast. Their hearts, by a simple question, were started to be revealed. And Cleopas, he basically finally kind of pipes up and says, in essence, are you kidding me? You're the only person who hasn't heard of everything that's been going on? Are you so out of the loop? I mean, look what happened. When 9-11 happened, the world stopped. The United States stopped. Everybody knew what was happening. Everybody was talking about that. Or if you go back even further, go back to the assassination of JFK. The United States stopped. Everybody was talking about that. To, to say to somebody, what are you talking about, would have just been totally out of bounds. But for the disciples, but for the disciples, it was of great significance because it wasn't 9-11, it wasn't JFK. The Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ, had been killed, and he'd been buried, and now there were reports that they couldn't find the body. But Jesus isn't deterred. He asks another question. He basically says, so what about these things? So tell me more. And this is what Cleopas then answers him. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death 
and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not, but him they did not see. Listen, you know what? They had a lot of facts. They knew a lot of things about Jesus, but they still didn't believe. So think about their testimony. There were some things that were so blatant, it should have brought them to faith. So for one thing, Whoops. All right. Guess went a little too far there. For one thing, they called him Jesus of Nazareth. So you have to remember in those days, there were a lot of men named Jesus, just like in the Hispanic community. Jesus is a very common name. So they say Jesus, but it is Jesus of Nazareth. So that specifies him. And whether they knew it or not, they were reiterating that a prophecy of Jesus had been fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So Jesus had fulfilled that prophecy. So when they say Jesus of Nazareth, they were already referring to a prophecy that had been fulfilled. But they also say that he was a prophet, a prophet of God, mighty in works and deed. Look, he had taught them so many things. He had spoken with such authority, authority of only one who could come from God. And he had performed all of these miracles. They saw that. They knew that. And they were also testifying something very interesting here. See, they didn't blame Pilate and the Romans for his death. They actually blamed the chief priests, and the Israelites. They were the ones who really put Christ to death. So the first part of their testimony, solid fact. But now the second part of their testimony really starts to show the disbelief that they had. If they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. That's a statement that hope is no longer there for them. You see, they had hoped that Jesus would be the conqueror, would be the one who would raise up Israel to its former glory, who would take the Romans and just move them out by force. They wanted the conqueror to come in. But had they read scripture, they would know that Jesus was not only one of glory and a conqueror, but he would also be the suffering servant. You see, what does it say in Isaiah 53? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Had they read and had they believed Isaiah, 
they would have known that he was the suffering servant as well. But you know what's really interesting? What goes by pretty fast? The very beginning of Isaiah chapter 53, it says, who has believed what he has heard from us? That's what Paul referred to in our reading from Romans. Who has believed what he has heard from us? In fact, a lot of people have read scripture, they have heard, but they still have not believed. They didn't believe what the prophets had already said about Jesus. You see, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they understood the glory of God, but not the cross of Christ. Let me repeat that. They understood the glory of God, but not the cross of Christ. And that's it to this very day. A lot of people understand the glory of God. They like the glory of God, but they want the glory of God for their own success, for a life without any bumps and bruises. And so you get a lot of people who are following just the glory of God, but when bumps and bruises come along their way, their faith falters and it sometimes dies. Because how can they understand suffering with that theology? Look, if your theology does not include the understanding of suffering, you have a heart that is slow to believe. So, the disciples gave a testimony, right? And they gave a long testimony. And there were a lot of different facts within that testimony. It says that it happened on the third day. There were eyewitnesses, the women. They went to the tomb. There was no body. A vision of the angel was there who said Jesus is alive. And other people even ran. They checked out the tomb and confirmed the story that the tomb was empty. Look, these disciples knew a lot of stuff. You would think with all those facts, something would have flipped in them. Something would have said, I believe. The trouble is the mind without the heart does not lead to believe, to belief. You need both the mind and the heart in your belief. So, Jesus intervenes. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Look, they had a disbelief, right? And Jesus gives them a very strong rebuke. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Oh, foolish, you fools. I mean, that's a pretty harsh rebuke, especially because they didn't recognize Jesus at this time, especially that rebuke coming from a stranger. You see, I like how a commentator, Warren Wearsby, put it this way. He says, the real problem was not in their heads, but their hearts. Look, they could have discussed theology all day long for days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months, 
but never have reached a satisfactory answer, never have reached the point of belief. And look, there's a lot of people today who like to argue theology ad nauseum. They go on and on and on and on, but yet a lot of them don't believe. A lot of them don't believe because their hearts, their souls have not been moved. What they needed was the very word of God, the very word of Christ. I like how Wearsby put it this way. What they needed was a fresh understanding of the word of God. And Jesus gave that understanding to them. Now he starts off with how necessary it was that he must suffer, right? That's what he says. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? Now you and I together, if you've been with me in this joy family, we have talked about the cross of Christ again and again and again. I need not cover all of that ground here this morning. As a matter of fact, if you want, I would suggest you go back through the last two sermon series that we did because we cover in that series a number of times the cross of Christ. Listen to the Good Friday message, the necessity of the cross. And Jesus here starts off with that too. He didn't start off with his glory. He starts off with the necessity of the cross. And the thing is, when you lose the cross, you lose Christ. That's why we go back to the cross again and again and again. This is why Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Jesus then goes ahead and he gives a Bible lesson like no other lesson in the world. Wow. I mean, I wish, <laughs> I don't know about you, I wish I could have been there for that Bible lesson. It was the most in-depth lesson you could get in a short amount of time. I mean, he lays out for them all of Scripture and how all of Scripture points to him. Now, you've got to remember, Scripture at that time was the Old Testament. The New Testament was not written. So when he talks about Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament, and he goes through the Old Testament and shows them where he was proclaimed, where he was foretold. You see, there are people, there are people today, one very prominent preacher comes to mind, won't mention him, but he's very prominent. He says, we need to unhitch the Jesus from the Old Testament as if we don't need the Old Testament anymore to understand who Christ is. So if somebody says, oh, we don't need the Old Testament anymore, I would simply point them to what Jesus said. Oh, foolish one and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I might just quote scripture to him. And then I might add, perhaps you are wiser than I am regarding Christ, but I will simply take Christ at his word. Now you might be asking, you might be asking, 
where do you find Christ? Well, throughout Scripture, if you study Scripture, the Old Testament, obviously the New Testament, but you miss Christ, you have missed his word. And thus, when we study the Old Testament, we don't want to simply study history, things that happened. We don't want to just teach the Bible. We want ultimately to teach Christ. And that's what we do in our Bible studies. That's what we do here at Joy Church. We teach Christ throughout Scripture. Now, you might ask, okay, so I got all that, fine. But tell me, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? Uh, There's more time than we ever have time to say all of that. But just let me give you a couple things. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet, like Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Ruth, he is our kinsman and redeemer. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In the Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom In Ecclesiastes, he is our hope of the resurrection. So what happened on the road to Emmaus? Jesus, Jesus, the word of God incarnate, the word of God made flesh, showed them the word of God, which points back to Jesus, who is the word of God. The word of God showed them the word of God, which points back to him, Jesus himself, who is the word of God. Now, if you had sat at his feet, if you walked with him during that Bible study, you would want more. You would be hungry for the word. And everyone who knows Christ as Lord and Savior, but like not just intellect, but the mind, the hearts burn within them, they want to learn more and they're hungry for his word. See, when you are hungry for Jesus, you are hungry for his word. Now, I want to tell you something interesting here. They were walking on that exact same road with Jesus, the road to Emmaus. Before, it had been a road of defeat. And they were sad, depressed, downhearted, full of doubt. But now, because Christ, the word of God, had given them the word of God, they were on a road of joy. That's the journey when you know Jesus and when you are hungry for his word, it becomes a road of joy. Going on in our text, it says, so they drew near to a village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. Then on verse 30, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, it would be normal for the host, the person of the house, to actually break the bread. But here, it was the guest who became the host. It was the guest who became the host and invited them to the table. Now, you and I, who are in Christ 
who know scripture would probably recognize this as the breaking of bread for the last supper. But I don't think we can go that far. I think this was simply their evening meal. And part of the breaking bread was saying grace, right? And that's what Jesus did. And the interesting thing is when he said grace, grace was given to these disciples. See, it was in that moment that their eyes were fully opened. We could say the eyes of their heart. The eyes of their heart were fully opened and they knew who Jesus was. Now, was it because of their own will that they came to know who Jesus was? No, it was because of what Jesus gave them. He gave them his grace and their eyes of the heart were opened. You see, when people come to know Jesus, it's not because they came to a decision. It's not because of their own will that they brought to the table. Rather, all of this is a gift of God. And that's why we call it grace. I would encourage you to look up Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. And that's why we call it grace. What God has given us in Christ Jesus is our salvation. What God has given us in Christ Jesus is our very faith. All of this, all of this is a gift from God. See, they were on the road, right? Jesus came along beside them. He intervened in their lives. He opened up to them his word, which points to him. He had fellowship with them. He communed with them. They were close to him. They are abiding in him and their hearts were opened and they knew him. You see, this is what Jesus does. He seeks out people. He seeks out the lost. And though he might not appear to you like he did to the disciples, he has sent messengers in your way. He has sent family. He has sent friends. He has sent acquaintances. He has sent many people in your way to share his word. And when you receive his word, you believe and have faith. And this is the joy that happened on that road to Emmaus, the joy that happened when he broke bread. And then he disappeared. It says he disappeared from their sight. Now, interestingly enough, they were not sad. They were not taken aback by this because the assurance of their faith was so strong that they believed in his word. They knew that he would come again. They knew all of those things. So they weren't taken aback. They weren't shaken by anything. Rather, they said, to, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on that road, while he opened up scriptures? They knew that their Redeemer lived. I like the song. I know my Redeemer lives 
What comfort that sweet sentence gives. He lives, he lives, who once was dead. He lives, my ever-living head. And that they knew then they must be witnesses to that. They weren't, they weren't forced, they were just compelled by the joy of Christ to be witnesses. So here's what they did. And they arose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, and saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they left Emmaus. Might have been seven, eight, nine o'clock at night by now. By the time they certainly arrived in Jerusalem, it would have been dark. But they come up to where the apostles were, to the group of the disciples were. And they come in. And before they can even say anything, I love this. Before they can even say anything, the disciples, the crowd, the other people in the room, they say, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. You know, on on Easter, we say he has risen. They say he has risen indeed. What would it be like if when people come into the church, we profess that the first thing out, he has risen, he has risen indeed. There's the proclamation of the gospel. That's what they had received from the people. And then those two disciples were able to share their story with them. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my Redeemer lives, right? They were full of that joy. That's the road. That's the journey on Emmaus. So my question is, what about you this morning? I mean, has that joy of Easter kind of left? And if so, I would ask you to take a couple steps this very day. First of all, read the words of Jesus and be strengthened. Trust in his word. He gave us his word. Read and be strengthened. And then search scripture and find Christ. You can In the Old Testament, the New Testament, it is all about Christ Jesus. He is there throughout every book of the Bible. Then also, see, and I would say know, not just mind, but heart, know that God's plan of salvation is not just doctrine, but Jesus himself. You know, when I teach the confirmands, it's a lot of doctrine, it's a lot of stuff to know, but I try to reiterate again and again and again, this is about growing deep in the love and knowledge of Jesus. So it's not just doctrine. Doctrine is important, no question about that. But doctrine without Christ is no doctrine at all. And finally, fill your heart with his word and be renewed in faith. Look, maybe turn off the news for a while. Maybe go on a fast for the news and be filled with the bread of life. This is the message for the day. This is the journey on the road to Emmaus. This is a journey of strengthening one's faith that leads to joy. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for the gift of Christ Jesus and his word. Open our minds, our hearts, our very beings to his word that we are filled with his peace, grace, mercy, love, and joy. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.